welcome in to the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, part of Vol Basketball Fever. We're a show dedicated exclusively to talking about the Lady Vols and news around the program. Tune in to hear thoughts and discussions from experts who cover the Lady Vols on a daily basis. Now, here's a new episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Lady Vault Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by the wonderful Maria Cornelius of Go Vols 247, here to break down the ending of the Lady Vault season and also the beginning of the offseason and a very important offseason for this team. Uh, Maria, thank you again for coming on here to talk about uh, the ending of the season and again, talking about roster construction and, and the offseason. And basketball never stops. It slows down. Thank goodness for people like me. I just that certainly doesn't slow down for the coaches, but for people like me, it, it slows down just a little bit in the spring and summer. So I'll take it. Yeah, I can't imagine being a coach because, like you said, it's it's a twenty four seven even in the months of April, May, June, July. Like it, it does not stop for them. Uh, before we get into it here, I want to thank all of you all for tuning in, whether it's on YouTube or if you're listening on your podcast app of choice. Thank you so much. We appreciate it if you haven't already subscribed to subscribe to the channel or to su- subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Google, either one, or Spotify, I guess I should say, <laughs> on the podcast store. And look, like this video if you're watching on YouTube. We would really, really appreciate it. And you'll see more Lady Ball content and Vol Basketball men's side as well content on the YouTube and on the podcast. Well, Maria, uh, the season has come to an end. Last time we talked, it was the beginning of the Sweet 16. And we talked about kind of what needed to happen if Tennessee were to beat Louisville. Well, uh, they didn't beat Louisville. They made it close and they they kept it close. And I think if they'd been fully healthy, I would have loved to have seen what this team could have done had Jordan Horston been healthy. Unfortunately, she was not. She could not play. Or if if they had Key and Green. Like if this team had been fully healthy, I would have loved to have seen that matchup, and I also think Leavals had really probably could have won that game if you know everybody was healthy because they they gave it a fight up to the end when Louisville uh, was able to finally kind of pull it away there late. Seventy six sixty four was the victory uh, for Louisville and Tennessee's season ended in the Sweet Sixteen. But it is a season that I think if you look at it as a whole, Maria, it's not you know if you go back fifteen years ago, this would not be considered a I guess a super successful season. You know, not winning the SEC regular season title or NC or tournament title just getting to the Sweet 16, but this isn't 15 years ago. A lot's happened uh, in the last 15, last 10 years to this program. This was the first time in six years that the Lady Vols made it to the Sweet 16. They were ranked in the top five at one point this year before injuries really kind of derailed the season a little bit. I wouldn't say even derailed because they still managed to still be a top 15, top 20 team for even after that happened. So just kind of took it off tracks a little bit. So I, I, to me, this season was a success. It's not a success maybe in the history of the Lady Vols in terms of you know, what the expectations are for the program, but from where the program had been and to where Kelly Harper and their staff took over the program and where it is now, I I think this season was a success in terms of building things in the right direction. And we'll get to this more in a moment, but there is a lot of momentum around the program now. And probably the more momentum I've seen around the lay balls in several years. And I think that to me, more than than even getting to the Sweet 16, just the the big positive momentum with this program paints this season as a success for me. It was uh it it was. I mean, I think you you summed that up well. They they did well. They uh they overcame considerable issues with uh, lo- uh losing players, vi- vital players in in terms mm-hmm. of injury. Ray Burrell, 
I mean, Marcus Juarez before the season even started. And of course, Ray Burrell, then Keen Green, then Jordan Horston, who unfortunately did not make it back to postseason. So I think all in all, Tennessee did did very well and went about as far as they could go. Uh, they could have could they have beaten Louisville? Yes. Some more shots fall. Louisville miss a shot here or there, a couple more possessions. But I mean, you know, props to Louisville. They they're final four teams. So I don't want to act like, you know, oh yeah, Tennessee could have won that game. Tennessee could have won any game it played this year, but in this case, I, I don't think any Tennessee fan, or at least the majority, don't look back and and feel good about this season and where this program is going. Yeah, and what does it say about the again, the resiliency of this team when you look at not just the you know, overcoming injuries and kind of how far they went, but you look <laughs> You look at the tournament, every single Final Four team Tennessee played this year. Obviously, Louisville, they played in the tournament, but you played South Carolina because they're an SEC school, so you play them every year. They played UConn, and they played um, – wow, I just forgot how UConn played. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, but it was Stanford. Yeah, so they played Stanford, too. It's like you look at the the, the schedule for Lady Vols, they played every Final Four team. Like, that is crazy. Like, that that is a ridiculously tough schedule, and that's not even throwing in the fact that you look at the other – NCAA tournament teams they played, obviously not just in the SEC, but a USF, a UCF, uh, other programs like that at Texas, for example, too. I mean, it was not only did you have injuries, but you had a really one of the tougher schedules that Lay have had in a while, I think, and still managed to be a consistent top 20, top 15 team and still managed to go further in the postseason than you had in over half a decade. So I, I, I think that... <sighs> I, I really wish that they could have stayed healthy. And I, I really, I think last time we talked about, we, we had, you had you on the podcast. I said, you're talking about fingers, fingers crossed that next year, somehow, some way, this staff can just can have a healthy roster from start to finish or, you know, as healthy as you can be from start to finish in a season, because that's not been the case. Like ever since Clay Harper has been here, that they've had some sort of injury that has been a, a blow to the team at some point every year that Kelly Harper has been here. And I think that, you know, it's not a poor reflection of the strength conditioning because they've been just kind of, a lot of times kind of freak accidents that have just happened in games a lot of times, or you know, Marta's case, it happened before the season started. Her arm jumped on, you know, right, I mean, yeah. there's really nothing you could do about that. Uh, you know, Kian, she felt it as she went up. She knew she had torn the ACL the minute she, uh, the minute she pushed off that leg, she, she felt it. So, and then Marta was a stress fracture that still needed help. It, they had, she'd done one surgery, didn't take stress fractures were quite tricky so they took the very conservative approach and basically shut her down. Yeah. And now she'll come back with a full year of rest. So, yeah, if I have said I'm always the pump the brakes kind of, all right, come on, people, you know, let's the expectation don't have it up here when it should be here. Mm-hmm. But if they stay healthy, this, this is a team that is a final could be a final four favorite. I mean, if if they have all their pieces you look at what Kelly did last season as a coach or this past season to get that team to a sweet 16. And she did it with having to play four freshmen, a considerable amount of time, an elevated role for a sophomore and their best player out from February 17th on. And I, I told everybody who said, well, you know, Tennessee, that's not the expectation of Tennessee. I said, I know. I said, but I want you to look at every Final Four team, take their best player off of it, and tell me if they make that Final Four. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Or and, and like that and take take their 
their like their best uh, backup post player or basically their best bench player. Take that off their team and see how far they go too. And, and Tennessee was without both those pieces in postseason play. They didn't have Keon Green or or Jordan Horst. And obviously, like you said, Marta had been out the whole year. But like it's it's one thing to. I mean, it, you take off the best player who did, literally was leading your team in scoring, rebounding, and assists. Like she was doing everything for the team, uh, and steal. Like she, yeah, yeah. I mean, take that off, and then you also throw in the fact that you're you, you had you had some pretty good depth there with Key and Green behind Tamari Key, but then once she goes out, you're having to put in a true freshman most of the time as your backup post player, and it's it's you know I, I we'll talk more about her in a second, but I thought Caroline Stripling did well as as the kind of year went on and when she was thrust into more of a role she I think stepped up especially in the SEC tournament and NCAA tournament but like it's not an ideal situation and I know that you know you could say well they had an easier path like who they played in the NCAA tournament I mean the mid-major teams they played were two really good mid-major teams too Belmont and Buffalo were very I mean Belmont took down Oregon so I mean yeah that Buffalo in the first round that didn't I mean you used you didn't used to have first round games like that yeah. And Buffalo really deserved a better draw. I think a better draw, they're on to the second round. I mean, yeah, they beat Belmont, but people forget, hey, Belmont beat Oregon. Right. Yeah, when when I had Cora Hall on here from the uh, Knox News, she was talking about you know, all the mid-majors and stuff in the NCAA tournament. And she said, you know, Oregon and Tennessee reminded her kind of a lot of each other where they're they're capable of playing really well, but they also have games they're they're kind of off. And she said, you know, Oregon can't afford to have one of those off games because Belmont's good enough to beat them. Lo and behold, Belmont beats them because Belmont can be really good from three. And we saw that kind of keep them in the game against Lady Vols. So uh, I want to rehash all of that because you and I talked about that last time we had you on. But again, I do think this season was a, a successful one for Tennessee. And I think, you know, moving into kind of offseason talk here, that leads into a lot of momentum for this team, even before there was the roster additions of Jazz Powell and Rakia Jackson, of course, you know, Justine Passat as well, who has been signed for a while. But Maria, I, I look at, you know, Ray Burrell going to the NBA WNBA draft, not a surprise. I, I think before we, I guess before we kind of talk about some of the offseason stuff, I do want to say congratulations to her because she's being invited up to New York for the WNBA draft. And that usually means you're going to go, usually means you're going to go in the first round and you're obviously going to be featured. So I, I do want to mention that really quick and, you know, have you talk about it too, because I think that's fantastic for Ray. And I think, you know, it, it's, really good because I was really concerned about the injury she had and whether or not that would really affect her draft stock and how scouts viewed her. But clearly with this invite to New York, I think it means that they're still very much having her in high regard. And I saw a, a couple of kind of WNBA mock drafts. One of them had her going number nine uh, to the Sparks. And I thought that'd be kind of interesting to see her go that, you know, over to LA over there. But I, I think it, it, you know, very, very happy for her that she gets to go up to New York for the draft. Yeah, she she earned that that uh right and I'm, I'm happy for her too she she could have left easily i mean she was the only one in her class to get get to senior day mm-hmm. and you, you have to applaud that that she she stuck it out she gave kelly a chance and she had an outstanding junior season i mean she certainly showed what pro scouts are looking for can you get better and she clearly got better she was clearly coachable and uh they I think her coming back and having such an outstanding postseason, I think elevated her in that draft because they, you know, you could see, all right, yeah, she's getting back to what we had seen before. So good, good for, good for Ray. And, and, and she was ready to go and I get it. I certainly understand players that don't want to stay in college five, five years. I think, I think some, I think you'll see some little bit of adjustment and play now 
when you go back and look at some of the rosters and and not just mid majors but power fives, you had some twenty three and twenty four year old players on these teams. I mean, some mm-hmm. players have been in school five or if they had a you know a red shirt year or an injury year six years. That experience is going to come back down to earth a little bit, and and some of these eighteen year olds aren't going to be looking across the court at a twenty three year old and trying to figure out how, how to play them because. You're older, you're stronger, you're wiser. You, it's, and, and there are a lot, and Tennessee was one of them. I mean, Alexis Dye was a tremendous addition to Tennessee this mm-hmm. year, but that's not going to happen as often now. That, that's going to that's gonna start rolling back a bit. Yeah, you make a great point because there still will be experienced teams. But there was, it was kind of an extreme this year because some, some teams would have, like you said, multiple kind of super seniors or, you know, people who were taking advantage of the, the COVID year. And that, I think you still have the COVID year stuff, but you're right. It won't be nearly as prominent, I don't think, this next season as it was this year. So that's a very good point that the, I don't think there was, there's ever been as much of an age gap between new players and the, the veterans that there were this year. So that won't be as much. It'll be more back to, what we're used to where there's only like four years separating, maybe, maybe at the, at the biggest, the five-year gap between the youngest player and the, and the oldest player. But yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and like you said, Lady Vols took advantage of that with Alexis Dye. And I, I, I'm very happy that she had the finish to the season. She did uh, talking about, you know, before you move on to looking at the future, because Dye had a, you know, Alexis Dye in March is again, just a, fantastic like she, she hits a different level when she gets into march and she the last time we talked we talked about how she had had like four or five straight games of double figure points and bat a double double every one of those games almost too I, I was very happy to see her close out strong because uh she deserves it she's uh seems like a really just phenomenal human being as well no i agree and yeah she i hope she gets drafted or can get into training camp and mm-hmm. But if not, and she wants to pursue it, I mean, she can she can continue a, a, a good career overseas. There are plenty of former Lady Vols that have kept going overseas and just keep doing well, keep making some money in the game. And, you know, they, they want to do it as long as they can because it's hard. It's hard to give up a uniform when that's all you've known your whole life is wearing a uniform, playing somewhere, and, mm-hmm. and you want to keep that going as long as you can. Well, Maria, let's let's shift focus here and look at the future because as we have just just mentioned there, like the future, in my opinion, is very bright for this program, and that's due in part because of what happened this past year, but also due in part because of some of the roster additions that have already happened with the signing of five star Justine Passat, with the transfer in of point guard Jazz Powell, and the transfer in of forward Rakia Jackson. Uh, the other, I think, roster movement that's happened since you and I last talked was Emily Saunders going into the transfer portal for the Lady Vols. And I don't think you, I, I I don't have any Intel. If anyone has Intel of you, but you and I were talking beforehand and there's not really a name to attach out there for the Lady Vols, but I, I don't think they're done adding players to the roster. And we were talking about where there's kind of the most help that's still needed on the roster. And that is in the post, because as, as you were saying, like they have wings, like they are a very deep and talented team at the wing position. They have really good forwards as well, but who can be that, that, person who can spell Tamari key who can be the other five because I you know this year you, you had to put in down the stretch you had to put in Caroline Striplin there at that backup five I think she's more of a natural four just from her play and just kind of how she how she plays and her size and everything and I think she did bad as a five but I, I think I think that's the area where I would I would hope the lay balls can go grab someone out of the portal who you know can be a Keon Green or maybe even you know maybe even a step further than what Keen Green was but Maria, I, these additions, I, I will talk about here in a second about kind of 
what the roster could look like from the starting five to the bench and stuff. Cause it's going to be interesting, but I think that's the one area that if they can go get that right post player. My goodness, this team next year is going to be scary. I think the only other team in the sec that'll be better than them is South Carolina. And obviously they just want a title and they look, they look like they're going to be loaded again next year too. So the only other team I'd put ahead of them, in the sec for sure is South Carolina, but there aren't that many other teams period other than South Carolina, I would put ahead of this Tennessee team, you know, assuming health and all that stuff and assuming they, they get another post piece. Cause I think that's the one thing they still need is, is a good post option behind Tamari key. I, I think that, I mean, that is certainly what you would, if Tennessee were to make any more moves and, and one thing I've been telling people too, is Tennessee made their portal moves early. Mm-hmm. They got their point guard. They got, they got Rakia Jackson and, and they and now the portal is just I mean it's like that uh you know that ride at the fair that twirl a whirl or whatever where you <laughs> just want to I mean you, it's just every time you look up there's somebody else in it now I do want to point out some sometimes I've often said too that, that not every player in the portal is in the portal voluntarily that some players maybe the scholarship wasn't renewed or the re, you know they whatever the exit interviews the end of season interviews however that discussion went. Maybe it didn't go well. Maybe it, it was mutually agreed upon that somewhere else would be better. So I never, I, I sometimes hear people talk about all oh, these players all just want to leave. I'm like, well, in some cases, that you know, they're in the portal not necessarily by choice. In other cases, and people don't realize this, if you're trying to get become a graduate student, you may not always get into the graduate school of your choice, and that could even be the school you're currently playing for. So. You may have to become a graduate transfer to get that fifth year at another school. So there is, it is not in, by any means just players flooding into the portal. There are also are some situations clearly where a player uh, could find an opportunity for more playing time somewhere else, and, and that you know Emily Saunders can definitely help a team in the paint. Mm-hmm. And I mean she she's done what she was to do here. She. I mean, she's liked by her teammates. It's an amicable departure. She graduated in three years or will graduate in three years. And she can move forward and, and you know, spend a, if she wants to spend one or two seasons and, and playing at another school. I, I didn't get any impression that there was any ill will or anything, you know, and, and that's what you want. And as of now, that appears. I mean, you never say never because things can happen in April and May, but I mean, as of now, that's the only Tennessee player that entered the portal. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point because you look at, <laughs> I was talking with somebody of all fans on Twitter, like they, you looked at the, uh, I think ESPNW's like way too early top 25 and they had Maryland number five. And I was like, I mean, they need, they need to wait a little bit to, before they put these out because now Maryland's like, their whole team's in the, in the portal at this point. So like, like they're not going to be, they may not even be a top 25 team when it's all said. Now, like, they're, like you mentioned, like the portal has been, I, I talked about it with Gene on the, the, podcast we did on Wednesday like as crazy as it's been in the men's game I think the women's game has been even crazier this offseason so already with the transfer portals additions and just the first like this last like two or three weeks especially this week there's been a ton this week yeah and and it's and and it's not over I mean it goes (laughs) through the whole month of April so I think Tennessee is in a position of strength one it 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 got the the you know two players that can definitely help. Um, 
I mean, not just these, these are not support role players coming in. These are going to be players who will play a significant number of minutes. I mean, who starts? I don't know. Kelly will figure that out in the fall, but it, they will be two players who will be vital pieces of Tennessee's 2022, 23 team. Um, the coaches then, I mean, there's 14 on the roster right now and the max you can have scholarship wise is 15. Now, Edie Darby's a walk on. Um, I do know from experience, and Pat tried it one couple of years to have full rosters out to the 15, and, and then she said never again. It's too many, particularly if all 15 think they should be playing. <laughs> that gets tricky. Now, if you've got some role players or some pl- players who are who are willing to wait their turn, who realize, okay, I'm not going to play that much year one and two. I'm going to get ready. But with this portal, you're probably going to start seeing fewer players like that who are willing to wait and willing to 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 play limited minutes. And, and so you're going to have to have role players. That's why players like Key and Green were so valuable. She knew her role. She embraced her role. So I, the fact that Tennessee could use help in, in the in the paint is 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 I mean, everybody knows that. I mean, that, that is just, that's not even one of those things that you debate. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sell Caroline Stripling short at all because I, I mean, she really showed in the last two or postseason really what she could do. She, I mean, the door's open for her to have a monster offseason and, and get ready to have a much bigger role next year. Um, to, then you look at, okay, what's, who's in the portal? I mean, really good post players. I, I, I read this on our message board over at 247 on, on the summit. You know, good post players don't grow on trees. They're right, a yeah. rare breed. Everybody wants them. So it's not like you're not fighting over a, a small pool of players for or a small pool of players and a lot of schools want them. I mean, 2023, I mean, Tennessee's number one post player, it's, it's clear. It's Aaliyah Del Rosario, the 6'6 post. Now, she's playing in bell buckle. Tennessee. So they list her as Nashville. It's really, I think Bell Buckle's about 50 miles from Nashville. Um, she's from the Bronx originally and she's there. Um, it's, it's a boarding school. She's there. So I've heard people say, well, Tennessee needs to keep in-state kids. I'm like, I, I really think she probably identifies more as a New Yorker than a, than a Tennessean. But with that said, I mean, that appears to be Tennessee's number one post post target right now. And if I'm a 2023 post and I'm looking at that roster, even if they bring somebody in through the portal, could be one year, two years max probably, I'm thinking, boy, that door is wide open at Tennessee if I'm a post player because Tamari Key is is headed to the WNBA after after one more year. So, Oh, yeah. yeah and this team, this team could have two or three. Well, th- I mean, if you count Jordan Horst and Tamari Key, Rakia Jackson, you're looking at – Almost, I mean, all of those would be first round picks. Heck, they could all be top five, top six picks. I mean, it's the next year's draft is loaded. That will be loaded absolutely to uh to the extreme. So, yeah, and, and loaded with Lady Vols too. I mean, to be honest, like like you said, three of those those three players. Assuming that especially Tamari takes another step forward, like she has every year. Like she's a top ten pick, like easy. Jordan Horston, she stays healthy, top ten pick, easy. I think Rakia, with her skill set, is also potentially a top ten pick because I, I've watched like her film and things she did at, at Mississippi State. The way she's able to move and cut to the basket, like she has a, a dynamic play about her. 
um, that I really like. And that, that leads me into talking about the roster here. You, you mentioned Stripling. And yeah, to me, it's no knock against her at all. I, I just think personally that she's a better fit as a four rather than as a five. It's like, I, I think you're right. Like she's in line for a big off season, regardless of if Leavals go at a, another post from the transfer portal or not. But again, you mentioned like, you know, the starting five and, and everything is for the coach to figure out between now and November and into December. But I mean, it's a good problem to have because I look at that and I'm, I'm like trying to figure out, okay, who's going to start and who's going to come off the bench because you look at this past year, you end up playing the freshman, I think more than you expected or I guess kind of more than you wanted. Cause you were hoping that you'd have healthy players that you wouldn't have to play the freshman as much as you did, but then also gave them a lot of experience. And as sophomores, I think you really like what you're going to have in some of these players um, like with Stripling, but also you look at uh, with Brooklyn miles, especially, but Kai Wynn had a lot of flashes of potential Sarah Puckett for sure. You know, had a, a really good freshman season as well. I, I, I think, you know, Tess Darby was a sophomore this past year, showed some flash and had a really good uh, three-point shooting season. But man, I, I look at, you know, potentially what what is a starting five? What is a kind of a rotation of eight or nine look like next year, Maria? And it's it's pretty impressive. It's pretty daunting for an opposing team because I, I I would expect both the, your new transfer additions, Jazz and Rikia, both to start because, I mean, Jazz Powell is a true point guard and, and Leibold, that was one thing they really missed this year too as a, as a true, I mean, Credit to Jordan Walker. She did a really good job coming in as, as, as you mentioned, like was a shooting guard beforehand and was, you know, asked to play the point guard. And she did a really good job of it for that not being her natural position. Now you have a natural point guard. So I imagine Jazz is going to start. Rikia is too, you know, as long as she's healthy, she's too talented, in my opinion, to not start unless there's some issue there. And I've, I've talked to her, you know, had her on the, here on the show. And if you haven't seen that, you can go back and check it out. I don't think there's going to be any personality issue. She seems, I love her personality. So I don't think there's going to be any clash there. So I don't think that's going to be a problem. So I think you have those two starting. I think obviously Horston and Key are going to start. The only other question I have is, you know, who starts at that, I guess, two spot. I would imagine it would be, you know, Jordan Walker because she's been very talented and has done a really good job her other two years at, at here at Tennessee. So then it leads into, you know, who's the first player off the bench? You know, I mean, Sarah Puckett is obviously an option, but like you look at some of the younger players there, I also just wonder, like, what happens with Marta Suarez? Because I think it's unfortunate for her for the the injuries and the surgery she's had to have. But, like, where does she fit into all this? Because she's very talented. She was a projected starter for this team this year. I like her play, and I love her attitude. Where does she fit in? Because I think she's potentially, you know, that sixth or seventh player, that you know, the I guess in the rotation, like one of the first two players off the bench, as long as she's healthy, because she has a lot of potential. I just, there's just a lot of options on this team. That's not a bad thing. It's just really an intriguing kind of starting five and a rotation of eight or nine that you're, you could potentially have this year. It it sets up an interest. Well, one, nobody's going to get comfortable. And that's starting, you're going to have competition. And that as a coach, that's what you want. You do not want complacent players that are starting because they know there's not many options behind them. And Tennessee has suffered through several seasons. Not, not so much. I mean, to, you need to start because a freshman could start. I'm not saying there aren't freshmen that aren't ready to start. I've seen plenty of them, but you need to be able, you need to earn that right to start, not because it's by default. It's like you're the best option we have. You really and you, I any freshman like I mean Justin Passat, obviously that that's a that's a competitive kid. Yeah, she's going to her. Like, she's going to be in the rotation too, probably. <laughs> He's going to come in and her goal will be a starting position. She's mm-hmm. built like that. She, and she's a six, four unicorn that can shoot to 22 feet. I mean, 
she she's an intriguing person to watch in terms of uh, now you got to get used to co- everything about college will be new from mm-hmm. sleep patterns to study to class. Now she went to a pretty tough private school, so she's she's ready for that part of it. But college is just different. You're not you're not at home with mom and dad anymore, and you know it's just now you're on your own and and you got all that to adjust to. But the the young players coming in now, like a freshman like Justine, that is an ideal situation because you are surrounded by veterans. And like Jordan Horst and Tamari Key, they had to start as freshmen, and there was not a – I don't think there was a four-year player on the roster, maybe one. Making a point, yeah. And so they, they were forced to not only be freshman starters, but they didn't really have veterans to look to for guidance and experience. And so I'm not saying he, they both could have started anyway as freshmen, even if they had upperclassmen there, but, but Kelly's got a, a different, totally different roster than her first three seasons here in terms of depth and talent. And she has the, the good thing. And because you always wonder, how do you manage a roster of that size? Kelly will play a lot of people. And oh, she yeah. has shown that since, even when she didn't have a lot of roster depth, she wants to develop her. She says, I need to develop players. She thought it was even more important in COVID because you never know when you'd have COVID players out. And she also seems to have, even though she was someone who played many, many minutes all throughout her career, she seems to have some a, a special regard for the players that that put in all that work and barely get to see the court. I mean, she... She's trying to hunt minutes for, for everybody on the roster when she can. Now, is that going to be harder with 14? Absolutely. Yep. If it stays 14, it could go 15. But she will. She also wants to play fast. Kelly wants a, a, a up-tempo speed and a pressing team, and you need bodies for that. You can't play f- five, six, seven rotation and, and press 94 feet the majority of the game. You're just you're going to give out. Yeah. She wants to run on offense. I mean, she knows she's got snipers at the arc now. She's got scores inside. I think the biggest one who will benefit from Jasmine and and Rakia getting there goes the dog getting here is is Tamari. I mean, you cannot with those players there, I mean Rakia can shoot threes too. Jasmine can shoot threes. Justine Passat, we know, can shoot threes. Jordan Horston can shoot threes. Marta Suarez can shoot threes. Tess Darby has shown it. You can't collapse on Tamari. You you cannot put you can't sag in on her like you can now and just surround her with players. Because Tamari, I don't know, I'm trying to yell over the dogs, is a fantastic passer Tamari will find that open player so you you swarm her and she's gonna hit that sniper at the arc so they're gonna be fun to watch but you just god you know what is that saying lord willing in the creek don't rise just let please no more torpedo hits to play I think I was looking at stats I may be wrong on this but she's up there high I think Jordan Horston still led the team in points scored even though she missed so many games funny i had the stats pulled up because i was looking at the minutes per game um yeah she's still she just barely like tamari and alexis are right behind her but yeah she had 372 points uh tamari finished with 356 and alexis with 347 so yeah she still finished with the point lead for the team and uh the minutes not, not minutes played lead but the minutes per game she no, i was looking because no player you mentioned you know playing players not having a bunch of minute allocation 
no player played more than, you know, played over 30 minutes per game. Horston was close. She played 29.3. But you're right, like, you know, Kelly showed, and obviously, like, if you watched games, you, you saw, like, you know, getting players in, especially later on the season when you had injuries and you get a lot of freshmen in there. But Horston played 29. Ray played 26. Tamari played 26. Alexis played 23. Uh, Jordan Walker played 27. You look at uh, the bench minutes. Actually, I guess Tess Darby started too, but she played 22. Sarah Puckett played 21. Keen Greed played 14 and a half. Brooklyn Miles played 19 and a half. Uh, as the season went along, Caroline played more, played seven. Kai Wood played eight. So like that's a lot of, like you mentioned, like a lot of minutes uh, per game for a lot of players. Like that's not just a, you have like three players playing 32, 33 minutes per game. And then, you know, some other minutes being distributed there. That's everybody getting a share in there basically. Um, and that's why you make a good point that I fully expect that to be the case this next season, because for one, they're going to be more, more talented depth than you've ever had. And two, um, that just has been the MO of Kelly Harper so far at Tennessee is that she will play, her bench, because like you said, you never know. And it, it benefited this year. You got those those freshman minutes early on in the season, and you needed them in, in key situations later on in the year. So like it, it paid off for you um, by the time you got into February and March, because they had played already in December and January, and you know not just in mop up minutes, but like an actual meaningful game time as well. So it yeah, it, it paid off for them in the long run this past year, and I think it'll pay off for them this year too. Um, kind of looking ahead a little bit you'd already kind of mentioned some 2023 a name there and in the post for lay balls are kind of top post target that's another thing too is that another way to build off this momentum because we haven't really talked about it but i mean the expectations for next season are going to be sky high uh, they're going to be you know not just getting to the sweet 16 or maybe probably not even just getting to the elite eight but final four i think is is i don't i don't, I don't know that i personally am thinking of that but i don't fault anyone for saying it because you look at the roster construction again as long as you're healthy we already we just talked about you have three potential top ten draft picks uh, on the roster. That's that's the type of talent that the South Carolinas, the Yukons have had, and obviously those are teams that have consistently been making the Final Fours over the last you know ten fifteen years. Well, I guess Yukon's case, South Carolina's been more like a you know eight to ten years, but still like that's the type of roster talent that makes deep runs in the tournament. So not only building off that and building off hopefully meeting those expectations for next year, but at Lay Vols are in on a lot of 23 kids. And I, I think there there had been questions about, you know, how well can Coach Harper recruit in the SEC? And I think what she has done in the 22 class and with the transfer portal has kind of silenced a lot of those questions. But I think if you really want to really silence even the most staunch of critics about what you could, what can you do in recruiting, this 23 class is key because this 22 season, the 22-23 season is going to be the best opportunity this staff has had to go win and win big. And I think the 23 class could be, you know, that that's going to be the key to can we maintain this success moving forward? And you were talking, you and I were talking before we started recording, uh, Lady Vols are in on a lot of big names. And if they can land just a couple of them, that's going to be another, that's going to be a top 10, top five type of class for UT in the 23 class. And the 25, I mean, they're in on 25, 26s and 27s too. And there's some outstanding player. I mean, there is, Women's basketball, girls' basketball before it, you know, gets to college level is is gotten so much better. I mean, there are just kids who can play now at very young ages. Um, yeah, you look at I, I, I'm not going to do the math because rosters numbers change so much year to year, but you're looking at Tennessee taking three to four 2023s and and Kelly is as we have discovered is is very deliberate in how she recruits and very methodical. She she knows what she she's not just chasing 
stars, you know, by five star, four star. She's not just chasing rankings. I mean, Justine Passat's a great example. When when Kelly went to see her, I don't think she was top seventy five because she played for a smaller program up at the Shore Shots up in up in the Northeast. Kelly went to see her in Pittsburgh at some small gym. I mean, there were I'm sure there were other coaches there, but probably not a whole lot. And she walked out of there saying, I want her. I want this kid. And so she has proven one that she can evaluate talent. Now, Justine escalated, you know, all of a sudden Tennessee's looking at her. Other people start watching her. Suddenly now she's not, she finished number 11 in high school, but was she really like the number 75 player or whatever the two years? No, she was a lot better than that, but she just hadn't been seen. So Obviously, Kelly's not paying attention to what some, you know, self-anointed prognosticators or think about think about rankings. Good, God bless him for trying. It, it's it's an inexact science to say the least. So, mm-hmm. so, but the the players they are looking at in twenty three. There's, a, I mean, there's a lot of top ranked players. I mean, they're in that top ten, top twenty five, top fifty. Uh, they're look. I would say they're, they they would hope to sign about three to four out of twenty three, and it, I mean they're on track. If, if they get most of who they're targeting, I mean it's a top it's a top five class without without a doubt. The other thing that is that has happened here that is very good for Tennessee. Tennessee's a hot ticket right now because there were question marks about Tennessee and what would Kelly do and what and then you had these dis, dis, the disruption of COVID which is particularly difficult for Tennessee, a program that needs to the NCAA tournament and needs Kelly to be out recruiting. Suddenly it was all shut down. She couldn't even, you know, leave Knoxville to recruit and nobody could come here. And yes, that affected every program, but it's even more difficult when you've just completed your first season at Tennessee and all of a sudden all the shackles are put on you and you cannot do anything except recruit on Zoom or FaceTime. So they have seen how Tennessee has played. I mean, Tennessee finished third again in the SEC in a very competitive conference. They got to the semifinals of the SEC tournament. They got to the Sweet 16. And then they got Rakia Jackson. And I know things, maybe people say, well, why is that so impactful? She is a national name. Mm-hmm. She is a splendid talent. She's got over a million TikTok followers. I don't even know how you do that, but shout wow, out to her. I didn't her. realize that. Wow. <laughs> and, but on top of all of that, I mean, she is one outstanding basketball player. I mean, she is an SEC type player of the year. She's an all SEC type player. She, she's an outstanding talent. One of the best players to ever come out of the state of Michigan. So that recruits are, impressionable to say the least young people are impressionable and all of a sudden Rakia Jackson not only picks Tennessee but she picks Tennessee over Texas and LSU with two of the best recruiters of the game Vic Schaefer and and Kim Mulkey that turned a lot of heads and I think a lot of players with this portal this is just back channel things of what I'm hearing some of this portal too are players leaving situations that are really poor fits for them as a player. I'm not criticizing teammates or coaches or programs for whatever reason, it's not working out. There's not the team chemistry is not there. The team fit is not there. Tennessee's had teams like that and the portal ended up blowing them up. You, you, 
when you're bringing in that players like that together, there has to be a good fit. And Pat Summit was one of the experts at finding those fits and letting her own players. If after a recruit was on an official visit, if they she'd go find the players because they do things outside of the coaches, they do things mm-hmm. together. And she wanted her. She goes, okay, honestly, tell me, what do you think? And that, she's had teams shoot down some recruits and. Because they didn't like the way they interacted with the team or, or how they would fit into the team or and you know, you know kids are, they'll find this stuff out about each other when, when they talk. And Kelly takes that same approach. She's walking around with that blueprint. She has that famous blueprint. I've never seen it, but probably got recruits names all over it, so you can't see it. But she's got a blueprint, literal blueprint she spreads out on the table for recruits about what she wants to do and where you fit and and how you had like a depth chart and who where who would play where and 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 that's Justine beside I think Sarah Puckett when she saw that blueprint she was sold. I, I remember talking yeah. to her parents and they were letting Sarah make up her own mind, but privately they looked at each other and they go, "Good, please let her pick Tennessee." You know, but they they stayed out of it. But that was what they wanted after after Kelly's visit. So you turn Kelly loose, you get her in these living rooms. She she can close you know she can she can close deals in there and now she's got Samantha Williams who can is an incredible evaluator of talent mm-hmm. and knows everybody in the game has mm-hmm. every AAU club program connection there could possibly be and then Joy McCorvey a, a young she's young enough to still relate to the players very driven player very energetic a coach um, has helped Tamari Key immensely with her game so. Tennessee right now is in a position of strength. And I'll tell a quick story about Mickey DeMoss. Everybody knows Mickey DeMoss mm-hmm. was past recruiting coordinator, got was responsible for getting Shamiqua Holds Claw here. And she she was with Pat for years and then went off and she was head coach at Kentucky and then ended up uh, being an associate head coach at Texas. And she came back for two seasons when Pat was sick. She did not know Pat was sick, but Pat had an opening and, and brought Mickey back. And uh, I was talking to her, you know, because I hadn't seen, you know, she hadn't been around the program in years. And, and uh, you know, probably at that point it would have been, when did she leave? 2002, I think, 2003, somewhere right in there, 2002 there. or three. So she'd come back like seven years later and had been at, at other schools. And I said, what, you know, and she was back to doing the recruiting. I said, what's the difference coming back here? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, Tennessee doesn't recruit. Tennessee selects. Hmm. And she goes, and now I can select again. And Tennessee is getting back to that position of where, okay, we select this one and this one. That's who we want. And I don't know how many players back during the Pat era, you know, they turned down that wanted to come here because they had selected the ones that, you know, they, they wanted. Now I'm not saying you don't make mistakes. I mean, Tennessee missed on recruits. You know, there's always mistakes out there, but Tennessee's getting back to that place where they're selecting and not just recruiting. And Kelly is very clear on what she wants and how she wants this program to go. And, I've also heard that players are picking up on the vibe at Tennessee. One, you didn't have wholesale transfers out of here. That, that's, a, that's a good sign. Two, I mean, they can watch benches. They can see players. They can see team chemistry. They, they, 
you can't hide that stuff from from teenagers and on their visit. They can watch all that. And these I'm not saying that the Tennessee doesn't have any friction or there's going to be drama with every team, every season, men, women, that that's part of sports. But they can see that these players generally care for each other and support each other. And and if any coach can keep keep a large roster happy, it'll it'll be Kelly. And then the reality of it is the transfer portal is here to stay. And Kelly's aware of it, and she's adapting to it like every other coach. You're, you have to be prepared that you can have players go in it, and you have to be prepared every spring to get players out of it that you want to come to, to your program. I do think strategic use of the portal is beneficial for a team. I don't think overhauling your roster every year is going to be beneficial at a college level. It's, it's even tough in the pros when you try to mix all of that. The college level, I think it's even harder. The, these are not free agents, even yeah. though it's almost treated like free agency. These are still young, emerging adults, and they are looking for an environment and a culture and a fit. And, and I mean, the college years – I mean, they're some of the best years of your life. That's what you want them to be. And you want to feel that connection to your college and your coaches and your teammates. And just school hopping is not going to do that for you. And so I think your more successful programs will be ones that don't have to have five, six, seven, eight transfer players every year to to keep your roster whole. And that, I just I just think that's – I think that's a tough way to go to build team chemistry and to build that team unity that you need. The two or three, yeah, I mean, I, I can see every team having a, you know, one, two, maybe three every year. That, that that The portal is a recruiting tool. It's not just spring recruiting, summer recruiting, fall visits, winter visits. No, it's recruiting. The portal is another recruiting season, and you never know who's going to be in it. Yeah, and that kind of leads me. I have three things here before I had a question kind of building off that for you. One was you were talking about um, the blueprint thing. I, I remember watching an interview. I wish I could remember who it was with, but I think you and I had actually talked about it a month or so ago after I'd watched it. But it was with Justine, and she she mentioned the blueprint thing. It was an interview like a one on one with her talking about her journey to you know through high school and becoming you know committing to Lady Vols and why she chose Tennessee. And that was one thing she mentioned was like when she's on the visit there they literally laid out that blueprint and was like mapping things out. And she's like, I, my parents and I were blown away by that. So I, I remember that specifically being mentioned by Justine as a, a big reason why she chose Tennessee. And another reason why, you know, talking about the transfers choosing Tennessee, Jazz Powell mentioned she specifically cited the culture. And then Rakia, I don't think specifically said culture, but she, she talked about like her teammates being everything for her. And she saw how the teammates reacted, you know, to each other with Tennessee. And then Jazz also mentioned that being a huge factor with her on her visit here to Tennessee was, you know, how everybody interacted. And she's like, you know, I was, she's like, I was greeted at the airport. She's like, I don't think I was greeted by at the airport by any other visits. Like I was greeted there by coach Harper. And like, she's like, and she just gushed about kind of how the family feel was for the lady of alls. And also you mentioned, this goes back to an earlier point you had about wanting to play up tempo. That was another thing Jazz mentioned about, you know, one of the things Coach Harper told her was like she she was like she wants to run she wants to play with a faster tempo and she thinks I could fit in that and she's like and I'm excited about that because that's kind of that's how I want to play so yeah she wants to play up more up tempo Jazz mentioned that was the reason why that she shows Tennessee and why she thinks she's a good fit here so I just wanted to get those three things off my head because I was like you made points I wanted to go back to really quickly before I built off that point you made about recruiting and the transfer portal because you mentioned you think you, you think Layballs take 
this would be kind of last point we make here before we wrap up. You said they th- you think they were going to take like three or four players in that 23 class. So you're, you're, you're expecting, you know, this year has been, you know, a little more transfer, more dependent, I guess, for Lady Balls than in years past because you have one player you're adding as a recruit, at least two right now, the transfer portal, potentially a third. But you're, you're, seems like you're fully expecting that to be more reversed next year where you're going to be a lot more recruit heavy. And then you kind of maybe bring in a transfer if there's just the right one that pops in. That and, and there's always the wild card of your own players. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you never know when a player's going to leave. I mean, that the portal basically just means coaches have to be aware they can lose a player at any time or they, and they conversely can go gain a player. You try to build a culture where you can keep your, your team intact, but you have to be aware of the fact that that, while that's something to aspire to, it's not always going to be realistic, particularly if you get to a situation where you have a lot of players who want to play minutes and maybe, I mean, there's only 200 minutes a game and you can, Kelly runs a deep, deep roster. I mean, I mean, she runs a, a deep rotation. You will get opportunities and, but there always are going to be players who may think, okay, I should be playing more and, and I want to go somewhere where I could. And I don't fault anybody if they ever reach that conclusion when they get, get to that point. Um, and, and I've, you know, and for Tennessee fans who, you know, don't really like losing players, I'm like, well, look who Tennessee's adding. I mean, it's a two way street here. You right. can't be upset that a player left Tennessee, but then, oh, be so happy that this player came to us. I mean, it's, it's it's the it's part of the game, but I always I call them emerging adults. But I mean, these are kids, especially the 18, 19 year olds. They want a good environment. They want a good situation. And, and Kelly is very particular about the, the character of kids. I mean, she knows college kids are going to do college kids things. I'm not saying they're all coming here and being perfect and doing everything you're supposed to do. College kids will do college kids things. She played here. She knows college kids will do college kids things, but there's a whole other side of you. What what is your what is your character like in terms of how you interact with your own teammates? What are your academic goals? I mean, she's very big on academics, which is good. I mean, what one percent maybe? Or of, of, I mean, not even that. I mean, there's a hundred and something players in this draft. Thirty six draft positions next week there's only 36 selected that and that international players will be drafted too mm-hmm. third round kids don't rarely make a roster most of the second round does it uh somebody pointed out that a, a good chunk of the first round wasn't still on a roster by the time the season ended a year ago wow. you better get your degree mm-hmm. you better find out what you're going to do because the there are many, many – the likelihood that you will be a long-time professional basketball player is quite small. So Kelly's fully aware of the fact that these kids are here first and foremost to get their education. So she's she's looking for kids who take school seriously, take their academic not, – not that you have to be a 4.0 and an honor roll student, but that you put as much effort as you are capable of into your academics as you do your athletics. Yeah, and that's always been the lady of all way. I mean, Pat was always huge on that as well. Like, they're always talking about, you know, making sure you're, you're not just at class, but you're in the front row of classes, especially for lecture hall stuff. Like, that's that's always been the lady of all way. So, it, yeah, I'm glad that's being carried over into this new era of women's basketball for Tennessee and just in general, too. Like you said, with the transfer portal and stuff, like, that's it's huge to make a, a big importance on academics, especially in the women's game where it's not, unfortunately, it's not as 
as you said, guaranteed if you're a first round pick. Especially, it's not as even with the men's game, it's not as guaranteed if you're a first round pick that you're going to be you know, have a long career in the pros. But it, it's even more so the women's game because there's less teams. There's just unfortunately less opportunity now. But there is getting there is more opportunity happening, which I am very happy about for uh, professional women's basketball. So that'd be another another offseason topic I think I would love to address is kind of just looking at the growing game of women's basketball, just kind of women's athletics in general. But I do want to get you out here, Maria, because you've been fantastic on here again. I really appreciate you, you know, just sharing your knowledge and, and everything and your perspective on it. So I, I knew there was no one more perfect to have on the show to wrap up the season and look ahead early on here in April for the off season. So uh, let uh, again, I know everybody who is listening to this knows who you are and how to get your stuff, but uh, let everybody know, you know, what you have on Go Balls Two Seven and what you have, you know, anything coming down the wire or anything you want to, you know, kind of plug here for Lady Ball coverage. Yeah, obviously, Go Balls Two Four Seven. That's where you'll find what I do on a regular basis all season long. I keep doing a weekly notebook. You know, I'll do some softball, do some recruiting, of course. Uh, Knox TN today. Literally, I, I just started writing a new column for them. That is, it's a uh, a hyper local news site here. They also do, I think, a broadsheet that they, I think, maybe send out once a quarter. But it's Knox K N O X T N T N and Today dot com, and they're uh, on Facebook and on on the web. So I'm just doing a, a Lady Balls column once a week. I think I've done three for them now. Um, the last one I did, uh, a, a lot of not even non sports people enjoyed it because I have I pointed out how. Tennessee fans have been gleefully, and I mean gleefully, tracking the fact that UConn and Gino Ariema have not won a national title since Candace Parker got uh-huh. cut from the Olympic team in 2016. Now, they won in 2016 in April, and then April, late by late April, the roster came out. Candace was not on it. And Tennessee fans have pointed out that they lost in 2017, 18, 19, of course, 20. There was no tournament, 21, and now 22. So over six years, it's been five defeats. And and people, for whatever reason, enjoyed that column because I was just pointing out that, you know, that you know, keeping score, Tennessee fans are keeping a different score. And, <laughs> and what they want now is to settle the, all t- the score of all time and win win another national title and get, get that, get Tennessee back there. So for what, you know, you never know when you write something, what people are really going to respond to, but that, that, that's the one that people have responded to. Oh yeah. I'm going to, I'm actually going to link that in the description. I'm glad you brought it up. Cause yeah, I, <laughs> I saw that people going crazy over that on social media. So I, I'm definitely going to put that in the description, uh, on the podcast description and on the YouTube description. So wherever you, wherever you're watching slash listening to this, you can uh, click the link and check that out. It, it is definitely uh, worth the read. And you're right. I mean, uh, of all fans, slave all fans, both like we all, we, I think we all love and enjoy being a little petty. And like you say, keeping up with, uh, keeping up with it and hate and hating on the people who, uh, hate on Tennessee a lot. So I think you're right. Like I'm not, I'm actually not surprised at all. That one did played well with the Vol fan base. So uh, I'll, I'll link that in the description, but uh, Maria, again, thank you so much, Maria, for, for hopping on. And, and I agree. Me. I'm still you mad. Know. Peyton Manning didn't win the Heisman. I mean, I'll, I'll be mad about that forever. Yeah, me too. And, and yeah, and I, I was like, five when that happened but even or, yeah so like i like just growing up like that's one of the things i remember people talking about all the time when i was a young kid is Peyton got cheated out of the heisman and he was the second tennessee player to get cheated out of the heisman <laughs> so I'll, i i hope that you know if hendon hooker makes a heisman run he doesn't get cheated out of one 
also this year. So anyway, thank you so much, Maria. Thank you for all of you uh, Lady Vol fans and Vol fans both who have been listening and watching along all season. We'll have plenty of off-season coverage. You know, it's it's April, beginning of April. We'll probably have some breaks here and there just because uh, we can. And it's nice to have a little breaks, but there's going to be plenty to talk about with both these teams, the men's and women's teams, uh, basketball at Tennessee. So uh, be on the lookout for more stuff from Vol Basketball Fever and Lady Vol Basketball Fever here on YouTube and on the podcast as well. So uh, again, signing off for Maria, I am Nathaniel. Please subscribe if you haven't already, like this video or subscribe to the podcast, whatever you're doing and listening, however you're doing it. We would really appreciate that. But thank you all again. This has been another episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you.